the book of Proverbs tonight, the message of this great book. I suppose there's no book of the Old Testament that appears to be quite as difficult to outline as the book of Proverbs, because like the dictionary, it changes the subject every verse, and uh, it's very difficult to strike an outline along that line, at least it would appear so. But as a matter of fact, there is no book of the Old Testament that's easier to outline than the book of Proverbs. It uh, is very logically and helpfully constructed, and uh, if uh, you note the divisions of it, you can easily follow the argument of this of this book. It begins with a brief preface that gives an introduction to us in the first six verses, and then there follows a series of ten discourses from a father to his son that uh, uh, are filled with very practical exhortations on how to face some of the problems of life. And that carries us over to chapter 10, the beginning of chapter 10, and you don't have a proverb in the book until then. But in chapter 10, there begins a, a series of the collections of proverbs that uh, are noted for us as the Proverbs of Solomon, the uh, wise king of Israel, uh, the son of David, you remember, who, when he uh, became king, had a vision of God one night, and God asked him what his heart desired above everything else. And Solomon said that he asked, uh, Solomon asked that he be given a wise heart, that he be granted wisdom. Because he was asked for this instead of riches and for fame, God gave him all three. But these are the wisdom uh, proverbs, therefore, of the wisest man that Israel had as their king. And this second uh, division runs through to chapter 25, where you have a beginning of another collection of proverbs, and these are said to be the proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah the king of Judah copied. That is, there is a posthumous collection of Proverbs that were given by Solomon, but not put together in a book till after he died, and put together by the men of the of, of King Hezekiah. And the book closes with a prelude, a postlude, rather, in chapter 30 and 31 that bring before us the words of two unknown individuals, the words of Agar, the son of Jacka, chapter 30, and the words of Lemuel, the king of Massa, chapter 31, which his mother taught him. And uh, this closes then this wonderful book. Now, the book of Proverbs is a book that expresses the uh, conclusion of the will of man in the, in the panorama of scripture that some of you have, that we have published recently, that give the whole survey of the books of the Bible, there's a, there's a misstatement there. I noted it just the other day. I pointed out in that panorama that the books of Job, Psalms, and Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, or rather, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, give us the cry of the soul of man. And uh, in Psalms, you have the emotional nature which is part of the soul, the function of the soul. In uh, Ecclesiastes, you have the function of the mind. And this is the book, as we'll see in our next study together, of the search of man's reason over all the earth, analyzing, evaluating, weighing, 
and uh, concluding uh, on the basis of that which is discoverable under the sun, that is, by human reason. But in the book of Proverbs, we have the appeal to the will of man and the conclusion of the will. And therefore, this book is all about that which man should decide, the choices of life. And you'll find this beautifully set before us in this introduction to the book, the first six verses. There's a title in verse 1, The Proverbs of Solomon, the Son of David, King of Israel. And then we read the purpose of the book, that men may know wisdom and instruction, understand words of insight, receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, that prudence may be given to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, and that the wise man also may hear and increase in learning, and the man of understanding acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. In other words, this is designed for man in every division of his life and in every age of his life from childhood, through youth, through maturity, in order that we might understand what life is all about. There is no more practical book in the Bible than the book of Proverbs. And especially is it recommended for those who are just beginning to to try to solve some of the mysteries of life. If you are just just, uh, moving out for the first time into contact with the world and its ways and its mysteries, This is a book of excellent admonition for you. And then in verse 7, you have the key verse of the whole book. And since it's the book that deals with life, this is also the key verse to all of life. And one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. It uh, states the summary and conclusion of this book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And this, the whole of this book approaches life from the concept that God has all the answers. God is all wise. God knows everything. There's nothing that's hidden from his knowledge. He is, understands all mysteries. He sees the answer to all riddles. He sees below the surface of everything. And therefore, if God is all-wise, then the beginning of wisdom is to reverence and fear God. Now, when it speaks of the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, this doesn't mean a craven sort of fear where you're afraid that God is going to do something to you. There are two kinds of fear. There's the fear that that God might hurt us, and that's the fear of those who are trying to run from God. But the fear that it's speaking of here is the fear that we might hurt him, that uh, something we might do might offend him or might, uh, uh, might grieve his loving heart in concern for us. And this is really a word that means, therefore, reverence or respect. That's the best word. And obviously, if God has all the answers, then the key to life is the man or woman, the boy or girl, who learns early to respect God and believe him and understand that he tells us the truth. To me, this is the greatest thing in my Christian experience, is that here in the book of God, I found that which tells me the truth. 
I can't trust many of the sources from which I get uh, information and wisdom and counsel and advice on other hand. I've found through very sad experience sometimes that that which I thought was right was very wrong. But here's the, here's the source. God has spoken. And therefore, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's not the end. It's the beginning. And it's the only the man who, who has in his heart a continuing respect for God's wisdom that begins properly to evaluate and understand life. Now, that's what this book is all about. Now, in chapter uh, 1, verse 8, you have the beginning of these first discourses to uh, a son from his father. And uh, it, uh, these follow through chapter 9. There are ten of them, and they begin with the child in the home, the first relationship of a child. And then they move out to the time when a child begins to broaden his experience and widen the circle of his understanding and begins to make friends. One of the most important times in a child's life is the time when he begins to make friends. And there are very wise and helpful words here on how to pick your friends. Because the power of influence is such that we will become largely what the people we associate with are at this age, at least. Therefore, the most important thing for a child to learn as he grows up is how to, uh, how to evaluate and how to pick friends. And these words in the first two or three chapters of, here, of this book are addressed primarily to that. Uh, then in chapter three, you have to be, he's moving out to the time when a young man, or especially here, or a young woman, as the case may be, grows up and leaves home. And he takes his way out into the city, where he's immediately confronted with all kinds of pressures and temptations. And here is a very thoughtful word, warning concerning some of the temptations he will meet, and uh, spoken very delicately and yet very frankly about the pressures of sex and what uh, wrong steps in this regard can do to your life. And also the uh, a warning, a word of warning concerning getting involved in wrong financial transactions and what this can do to you. And these are very practical admonitions. The whole of this section is summed up, I think, very excellently in two verses in chapter 3, which most of you already know, I hope. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. There never was more valuable advice given to youth than that. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now there's a word to a young man or woman who wants to find the secret of life, who wants to be a success. And I've never met young people yet that didn't want to be a success. I've never been with a group of young people in which one of them has stood up and said, my ambition is to be a bum down on Skid Row. They all want to make a success. And the answer is, you'll never find the, uh, the way to success unless you'll do it on this basis. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And though God has given you a reason to use, don't rely upon that as the final answer. Where God's word or God's ways have shown you something different, trust that instead of what you feel. And... Uh, 
The result is, God says, in all your ways acknowledge him, he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And how I wish that as a young man somebody had given me those verses when I began, first began to move out into the world. A young man sat in my study just this past week and told me a heartbreaking story of, of the time when he left his home and moved out into the city and simply doing what he thought was right and what he hoped would supply fulfillment to his life. He drifted downward, downward, downward and got himself involved in, in dope until he was mainlining heroin and in experiments with LSD that brought him into fantastic uh, hallucinations and finally ended up acting as a procurer for a prostitute on the streets of San Francisco before God suddenly awakened him and he realized what had happened. Now, that's the kind of a thing, you see, that the writer of Proverbs is seeking to avoid by, by pointing out that life can never be understood unless it's understood in relationship to God, that life is simply too big for us to handle by ourselves. And no matter how good the advice seems to be that we get, if it isn't consistent with what God has told us, it's not to be trusted. And that's the uh, conclusion that is reached through these uh, opening chapters. Chapter 8 and chapter 9, by the way, personify the two ways of life. Wisdom is seen to be as a beautiful woman calling to those uh, who follow her to come away into the place of victory and of achievement and of success in life, while Folly or foolishness, that which, uh, which uh, thinks uh, that which it desires is right, everything it does is right in its own eyes, is personified as an evil woman who's attracting, who's luring, tempting to step aside into the paths of death. And it's a marvelously beautiful poetic passage. Then beginning with chapter 10, we have this first collection of the wisdom of Solomon. And these are all very pithy, practical words of advice chosen out of every possible situation of life. You'll never find a practical situation into which you come that is not reflected in one of the Proverbs somewhere. Therefore, this is a book that ought to be read again and again and again until its wisdom permeates your life. And much of it is committed to the, to the mind and memory, and you can recall it in times of pressure. I'm not going to, I can't, of course, take time to, to go through this in detail because every proverb stands on its own. This first collection, for the most part, however, is made up of, of contrasts where the writer uh, sets two things side by side and shows what the, the good one view can bring as opposed to the evil that the other. And as you read this through, you'll see that antithesis. Let me just read a few of these as we skim through the book and you can see what I mean. Chapter 10, verse 10. He who winks the eye causes trouble, but he who boldly reproves makes peace. And that's the contrast, of course, between the sly, deceitful, stealthy look that is expressed in a wink as contrasted to the man who, frankly and forthrightly, speaks out, even though it's not very welcome news, but the result of that kind of frankness is peace. Then in chapter 
10 also, verse 26 is a very expressive proverb. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes is the sluggard to those who send him. Any parent that's sent their child on an errand and he's dawdled along the way knows what this means. As vinegar sets the teeth on edge and smoke burns the eyes, so is the man who's entrusted with a message who dawdles along the way. Chapter 11, verse 22, very practical. Like a gold ring in a swine's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Can you imagine that? Uh, An ugly uh, pig with swill dripping from its nostril and uh, a a gold ring there embedded in that nostril. Uh, Gold... Uh, signifying, of course, value, but in the, in the wrong place. So is a beautiful woman that hasn't learned that beauty of spirit is not that, beauty is not the outward form, but that inward beauty of spirit that really makes for beauty. Then verse 24, one man gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. There's the value of generosity. Versus stinginess. Then in chapter 12, verse 4, these for the month of June especially, a good wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. These are self-explanatory, aren't they? Verse 18, verse 16, 18, 19, and, uh, 17, 18, and 19, and 20, 21, and 22 give a little discourse here on the tongue and the dangers of it, and the blessings of it. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent man ignores an insult. That is, a fool blurts out what he feels, never says, uh, never uh, tries to control himself, simply reacts to every everything that comes along. But the prudent man learns to control himself and ignore insults and move to the heart of the matter. Uh, Verse 18, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Then over in chapter 13, verse 24, is that well-known verse for parents, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And that's the basis for the well-known uh, uh, saying, this hurts me more than it does you. Chapter 14, verse 20, uh, verse 12, again, it reverts to the underlying secrets of life. There is a way which seems right to a man. And how oftentimes we'll think we know the answers. But remember, the whole counsel of this book is Your own wisdom, your own reason is never enough. There is a way which seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. Therefore, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own insight is the application. Then chapter 14, verse 31. He who oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is kind to the needy honors him. Here's a word on the need to recognize the unity of life, as Mr. Connell well brought out. The I-it relationship is an insult to someone. 
The I thou is the only thing that expresses the uh, concern of a Christian. Uh, chapter 15, verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. Wonderful way to simply say the deepest mysteries of life are known to God. We don't understand Sheol. We don't know what Abaddon, that is the pit, involves. But God does. How much more, then, does he know the secrets of the human heart and can tell us the right way? Verse 17 of the same chapter, very practical. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. Who would not rather sit down to a table where there's just bread and water but a wonderful atmosphere of love and concern rather than a beautiful table loaded with goodies And everybody glowers at one another. Verse 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. Have you ever said to yourself, uh, after you've been in an argument, oh, if I I just could do that all over again, I know exactly what to say now. (laughs) What a joy it is to make an apt answer at the right time. And a word in season, how good it is. To show you how this writer understands life. Chapter 16, verse 13, uh, righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he who loves him, and he loves him who speaks what is right. And then there are other verses here about a king. Now, when you read this book, remember that God looks at every man as a king. Therefore, this is about you. And uh, he views you as a king over the kingdom of your life. And if you read this in that respect, these words which run through the book on rulership and kingship are of great profit to us. Verses 20 and 22 linked together. He who gives heed to the word will prosper, and happy is he who trusts in the Lord. Wisdom is a fountain of life to him who has it, but folly is the chastisement of fools. And what is wisdom? Well, it's, it's in verse 20. He who gives heed to the word shall prosper. And chapter seven, uh, 16, also verse 32, is a verse that many of us need to hear. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. That verse is often quoted, but we very seldom believe it. But what a change it would make in life if we really understood that the man who who learns to control his anger and subdue his own spirit by God's grace is a greater hero than the man who takes a city. Uh, chapter 17, verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to God. And yet how, e- how often we fall into that error, justifying the wicked, making excuses for people that do wrong, and condemning the righteous, uh, finding fault with them. Verse uh, 28 of the same chapter is very wise. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. And as someone has well put it, it's much better to remain silent and think and let everybody think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> chapter 18, verse 8. 
The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts of the body. And there's the explanation why we love to gossip. Mmm, what sweet morsels these are. How we love to sink our, our lips into the decaying reputation of another. How good it tastes. And yet how evil it is. And then verse 22, again a word, uh, for the, for the lovers of June. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And this from a man who had a thousand of them. <laughs> verse 24, there are friends who pretend to be friends, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that, again, is a reminder that there's one who will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. That's God. But there are many friends who will tell you anything that they think you want to hear, but they're no friends. Verse, chapter 19, verse 3, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Isn't that strange? When a man's own foolishness brings him into trouble, who does he blame? The Lord. Or if he's married, he takes it like a man and blames it on his wife, <laughs> as Adam did in the garden. Chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And that's a question no one can answer. And anyone who asks it honestly is on his way to find a Savior. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And verse 27 of that same chapter is one of the most important chapters in the Bible on understanding human life. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. That's what God made our spirits for. Our essential nature is to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's the light, we're the lamp. And when the lamp of the Spirit holds the light of the Holy Spirit, he searches the innermost parts of the life, and we begin to understand ourselves for the first time. Then in chapter 21 also, verse, chapter 21, verse 9, a very practical word from a married man, it's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And verse 30 of the same chapter, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. God overrules. Someone said to Napoleon once, man proposes, but God disposes. And Napoleon in his ignorant arrogance replied, no, man, Napoleon proposes, and Napoleon disposes. That was before the Battle of Waterloo. Chapter 22, verse 6. Here's that famous verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I think really that should be translated, train up a child according to his way, which means find out what's in a child, and bring him up in order that that which God has hidden in him may be developed and brought out. And when he's old, he'll not depart from that. Verse uh, 16 ends this type of a chapter, this type of a, of a proverb, this uh, 
contrast, and in beginning with 17 of, verse, of chapter 22, you have a different kind brought before us. These are general discourses, two or three verses long, upon various subjects, and we can't take time to dwell on them, though there are some very helpful, very helpful words in this practical section. Chapter 23, verse 13, for instance, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you beat him with a rod, he'll not die. He'll sound like it, but he won't be dying. And if you beat him with a rod, you will save his life from Sheol. Now, that's for children, that is, small children. When the, you get to be an adolescent, that's a different thing. They may be bigger than you are. <laughs> Chapter 24, verse 28. Here's a practical word on relationships with your neighbor. Be not a witness against your neighbor without a cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Even here, you see, there's a clear recognition of the golden rule. Then in chapter 25, you have the beginning of the second collection of Proverbs. These copied out by Hezekiah. The first one is, a, verse 2 is a wonderful one. It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search it out. And if you want to have a royal experience... I suggest you start searching out the things that God has concealed in his word. That's the glory of kings, to find what God has hidden. Verse 17 of that chapter. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. Very practical. Chapter 26. Like a sparrow, verse 2, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. Therefore, if somebody says something nasty about you, and it's not true, don't worry about it. Nobody will believe it. Or those who do aren't important. Then, uh, this chapter, by the way, has some very helpful word about some uh, very troublesome people in general. Uh, chapter uh, 26, verse 3 through verse 12 is a wonderful series on fools and how to handle fools. So if you know somebody that fits that category, you can read that. And chapter, uh, verse 13 through 16 is what to do about sluggards. What's wrong with the sluggards, the lazy people? Verse 17 through 23 is meddlers, how to handle meddlers. And verse 24 to the end of the chapter is what's wrong with the loveless, those who hate. Now we'll skip on to rather quickly here. Chapter 28, verse 27 is a practical word. He who gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. That is, uh, this is exactly, again, what we heard earlier in the window of the world. No man is an island. We must not shut ourselves away from life. These people who say they're too sensitive to visit the slums are coming under the condemnation of a verse like that. We need to see what life is like around about us. Verse 29, chapter 29, verse 1 is a, a very often quoted word. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And then in chapter 30, you have the words of Eger. No one knows exactly who this man is, but the words are very practical concerning some of the wonders of earth. 
And in chapter 31, you have the words of King Lemuel and what his mother taught him on how to be a king. And then the last of the book is a wonderful description of a, of a virtuous woman. And many feel this is the uh, King Lemuel's own description of his mother and what a woman she was. If any of you girls are looking for a model woman, I commend this passage to you. If any of you men are looking for a model wife, I, I suggest you read it through. Uh, it is a marvelous setting forth of, of the strength and the glory and the beauty of womanhood and the unique contribution that women can make to life. Well, there's the book of Proverbs, how practical it is. No more practical book. I suggest you read it through once a month. It has 31 chapters, and that fits all the months that have 31 days. One chapter a day will do it. Why don't you try it? Shall we bow together in prayer? Thank you, our Father, for this look at this very practical book and for the admonition it gives to our hearts to remember that life can never be understood, can never be handled, can never make sense until we handle it and approach it with a, a trust in thee. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.